uh, this morning. Hello, Seven Oaks. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Uh, my name is uh, Zach, if we haven't had the pleasure to meet before, uh, and I am one of the pastors here in our church community. Uh, we're glad that each and every one of you is with us, whether that's you here in the chapel, uh, joining us on the live stream, or watching or listening to this uh, some point down the road. Uh, we are thankful and appreciate all of you. Uh, we are in uh, the uh, second week of February, so we're about six weeks into uh, this new year. And uh, I just want to know, how's 2024 going for you? Oh. So what? Blessed. Okay, that's, that's good. Um, you know, often um, people uh, in our culture, uh, at the beginning of a new year, they, they make resolutions. They, they make some choices to change some things in their life about, about who they are or how they live. Um, there's something about a new year that gives people the hope of transformation in their lives. Uh, I've, I've seen a few posts over the last couple of weeks on, on my social media from my friends. Uh, some of them, I'll, I'll be honest, some of them predominantly are they're my football friends, and a lot of them have said things like this. Um, dry January, which is drinking no alcohol in January, is turning into dry February, uh, meaning that in, in some sense uh, they feel, they, and they've expressed this, they feel better or their, their health is improved, and so they've decided uh, to try and carry on with that change, to keep it going forward. Did, did any of you, uh, did any of you uh, start a new diet, an exercise regime, or a Bible reading plan last month? Yeah? Okay, a few, oh, a few, only a few of you will admit it. How, how's that going? <laughs> how's it going? Thumbs up. That's great. Yeah, I think we all have things in, in, in life like this. I, uh, I don't diet. I, like, I, I don't believe, I, I don't like the term. I think there's so much baggage, you know. Words are important to me, and... Yeah, diet's just a bad word. A number of years ago, uh, for the betterment of my health, I started to do this thing, and you'll label it things, and I probably don't do it the way you would label it, but I stopped eating these amazing things that God created called um, carbohydrates. <laughs> um, I love complex carbohydrates, but um, I just stopped eating them, and uh, I did this. My wife told me, hey, this is something you should try, and so I stopped eating them, and the crazy thing was, as I stopped eating them, my my body began to eat up all the carbohydrates that were stored within me. And I began to enjoy the benefits of that because I felt better. It improved my health. And so I would go with seasons where long stretches, where there would be no special days. Although, of course, there's that once a month. Once a month where my not eating carbohydrates came face-to-face -face with my faith. We come here every Sunday, once a month. And there's sugar in that juice, the blood of Jesus. And I don't know if there's carbohydrates in that cardboard that we eat, but, you know, there's something in there that I'm sure I'm not supposed to be eating. And once a month, I'll do that. But this last season has not been good. Usually, just I'll take a little break here for the special event there. But this, these last, this last season has been bad. And so not on January 1st, because that's a horrible time to start for me. Uh, these last couple weeks, I've been like, okay, no, no carbohydrates. And again, I feel better. I feel more healthy, and I'm kind of pressing forward in that. Um, yeah, we, there's all these things we want to change in our life. There's all these things that we wish could be different. I think it's really ironic that change is one of the most constant things in the human experience, isn't it? 
Winston Churchill once said regarding his uh, changing of political parties, which he did more than once in his, in his uh, time of serving, he said, to improve is to change. To be perfect is to change often. Uh, I think if we were all honest uh, with each other in this room, there are likely things that we want to change about ourselves or about the situation that we find ourselves in in this moment. And to that end, we seek out ways to, to change it. We go after them. Maybe you're here uh, or you're watching this or you're listening to this because you long for change in your life. And you're seeking it here because you've heard things about church. Or maybe someone has invited you or encouraged you to come to this gathering place. What I can tell you is this. Nothing has changed my life more. Nothing has been more transformative in my life than seeking Jesus. And as a part of that, reading deeply this book. Seeking Jesus and being people of the word is who we are and who we long to be. So let's open the Bible together. And as we do so, we seek that it might change our lives. If you have a physical copy of the Bible with you, I invite you to open up uh, to uh, Corinthians. We're going to read from there together. This is our fourth week in a series in 2 Corinthians. Uh, if, you, if you have a Bible, we're going to go to chapter 3. So you can go to the third chapter. Uh, we're going to be reading from verse 12 uh, to the end of the chapter. And I don't see a lot of people moving their hands. You can also follow along on the screen uh, behind me. Uh, let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 3, starting at verse 12. It says this. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." Uh, every passage of scripture is a bit like, uh, a bit like an onion. Uh, there are various layers to it. And as we think about these seven verses, we're going to examine some of the layers as we ask the questions that we always ponder when we come to God's word together. And that is, what did it mean for the original audience it was written for? And what does it mean for you and I in the here and now? Pastor Jamie opened our series by giving, uh, he took a deep dive into the context of 2 Corinthians. There's a lot I could say about context. But for our purposes in this gathering, let me simply recap the highlights of what he said. This is a letter written by Paul, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, to the church at Corinth. And uh, as we read in Acts chapter 18, we see that Paul was on... Uh, was being faithful to what God called him to. He was on a missionary journey, and, he, and in Corinth, he, he was sharing the good news of Jesus, and he started a church there. And um, Corinth, we learn all these things about Corinth from Scripture and from, from other places. We come to understand that it is a very wealthy and influential city, lots of commerce and trade. 
It's in, of course, what we would call Greece. It's near Athens, but it was Romanized at the time. Uh, there's all these other things we could say about it. But one thing that stands out is that Corinth uh, became known and was known for being a very uh, immoral city that was filled with all kinds of immoral behaviors. It was a place where what you did with your body kind of didn't matter. After being there for a while, Paul left to carry on sharing the good news of Jesus with other communities because that's what Paul was called to. He wasn't called to just go start a church and stay there till he died. No, he was called to go and share the good news of the gospel with all a whole bunch of people who were not Jews. He was called to share the good news of the gospel with the Gentiles. But starting a church for Paul was a little bit like being a parent. And as a parent, you want to know how your kids are doing. You, you want to know how they're growing and, and how they're developing. And so that's what Paul did. He still kept, kept, kept tabs on how things were going in Corinth. And so he would, as he heard news, he would send letters to them. Letters to, to correct them as uh, they, be, they continued to kind of fall prey to this immoral culture that surrounded them. He even revisited them to address some of the sins that, were, that existed there in their church. This letter makes it clear that Paul visited them after they had received uh, what we call 1 Corinthians, the uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians. And he did so because um, in the community, these sinful practices just kept on going on and on. If you haven't read 1 Corinthians or you haven't read it in a while, it's a really sad book as you read about all these crazy and disturbing things that are going on in the life of church. But they're essentially things that were just happening in the culture around them. And uh, that visit uh, that Paul had to follow up the First Corinthians letter, in the eyes of the Corinthian church, is what people today might call harsh. <laughs> and it was harsh because Paul came to call them to live a repentant life, to choose to change from living and looking like their culture to choose to living and looking like Jesus. Needless to say, uh, it was a painful visit for them. It, it, it hurt them. It wounded them. Have you ever had someone in your life correct you or challenge you or maybe even rebuke you? And then you can kind of no longer hear from them or maybe you need space from them before you can engage, uh, engage them again. I'm guessing some of us, we experience this in, in, in our marriages, Right? I remember the biggest example of this I remember in my life was my grade 12 year. It was the beginning of my grade 12 year, and I was in a classroom with a teacher who I, I really appreciated. I had had throughout my entire high school career, a teacher I knew well, my family knew well. It's a longer story. And one day in class, my teacher spoke truth to me, but I didn't receive it well because it was in front of all my classmates. And it was, it was everything she said was true. But it was so embarrassing, and I was so hurt, and I was so ashamed. And so I uh, went to my guidance counselor because the trajectory I was on with my education, where I was at, and all the things I had done, was doing whatever, I didn't need to take that class anymore. So I went to my, uh, the guidance counselor, and I said, yeah, uh, I want to drop that class. And so I did. When I, when I look back at high school, um, I have a few regrets, but that is definitely one of them where I, I, didn't want, I didn't want that voice in my life anymore just because I was, I was hurt in the moment. Have you ever experienced something like that? Because I think that's a little bit how the, the Corinthians felt towards Paul. 
they no longer felt that Paul had the same authority over them. They, they, no, longer, they no longer felt the love and the care of Paul as they had before. It, it hurt their relationship. It wasn't like when he was first their pastor. So instead of visiting them again, visiting them again kind of in, I think, maybe some pastoral wisdom, Paul decided uh, to write them uh, another letter instead of making uh, another painful visit. And so that's why we have 2 Corinthians. And in these first few chapters, Paul's doing something really important. He's trying to, to reestablish, to reconnect with the Corinthians. He, he's trying to um, reestablish his authority, so to speak. And Jamie spoke about this. And this is something that really carries on in these first three chapters. It's kind of a, 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 kind of a crescendoing thing a little bit. Um, but now looking at the verses we just read, the first thing when I look at these passages, when I look at verse 12 there, is uh, I see that it starts with the word therefore, right? And all the, all the people, the good English teachers, and I know we have much teachers of, right? Whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is therefore, right? What is therefore, therefore? And so you have to ask that. And so for us to get a little bit of a better understanding uh, of what's, get the fullness of what's going on here, we're actually going to take a moment, we're going to jump back. A few more verses. So those of you who had your Bible, I hope you kept your finger in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read the few verses that come before this, starting at verse 4. And we're going to read uh, from verses 4 to 11 where it says this. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? If, uh, if this were a, a Tuesday evening or a Wednesday evening, and we were in the upper room, uh, over here in the education wing of our church building where we gather with students, uh, I would likely ask a question like, is there anything in these two passages that we've just read that makes you think of other parts of the Bible? What parts and why? So I'll ask the same questions here. What parts of Scripture is Paul referencing here? This is, this, we can be interactive. It's okay to shut out. It's okay to be wrong, too. What's Paul, what's Paul talking about here? Ten Commandments, Moses, yeah. Where do those all take place in our Bible? Exodus, yeah. We're, we're Paul here is referencing, he's talking about the Exodus. The references here to Moses are talking about what happened in the story of the Israelites in the book of Exodus. Uh, we, we can't understand this passage without understanding the book of Exodus. And like with most things in Scripture, we need to have a grasp or a growing or be growing in our understanding of the Bible as a whole, right? Books like Genesis and Exodus are foundational for, uh, for knowing what is going on in the rest of the Old Testament and like our letter today in the New Testament. 
Now, we don't have the time to read the parts of Exodus that Paul was specifically referencing, but we need to pause for a moment and at least kind of summarize them. Later today, after you've watched the big game, you can, uh, or later this week, if you don't have time today, and you haven't read Exodus in a while, go to Exodus. And what we're going to read, you can find in chapters 32 to 34. But here's the Coles Notes version. Uh, the, the book of Exodus is, in one sense, a microcosm of, of the story of Israel and the story of, of God and his people, right? Um, we, uh, we, we find, we find the, the book starting with the people of Israel are in, enslaved in Egypt, right? And they're, they're doing hard labor, right? And this is, not, this is not a surprise, right? If we've read Genesis, we know God has foretold to Abraham that his descendants are going to be in a foreign land. They're going to be slaves for, for centuries, right? This, this is kind of following through. And at the end of the book of Genesis, we see, that, we see why the people ended up there, right? There was famine in the land. They went there. Joseph took care of them. Joseph's died. Pharaohs have died. And the people are slaves in Egypt now. And it's not, a, it's not an easy life. It's not a good life for the Israelites. And so they, uh, they cry out to God. And God hears the people of Israel. And God uh, chooses to send someone to rescue them. He chooses, sent to someone to, he chooses to send someone to redeem them. And that person is, is Moses. And now there's lots we could talk about Moses' life. And we're not going to do that um, because there's so many interesting and intriguing and fascinating things that happen to Moses that we don't have time for. But jumping ahead, God calls Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. And so he sends them to Pharaoh, right? And uh, there's this incredible display of the power of God over the power of the gods of Egypt, right? In the, in the 10 plagues, one after another, God shows he is superior to the gods of Egypt. And finally, in the end, Pharaoh relents and says, yeah, just, just go, yeah, just leave, get out of here. And again, a whole bunch of amazing and interesting things happen. But moving forward to uh, around chapter 32, we find the people of Israel have left Egypt and they're at a mountain called Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up Mount Sinai and has this encounter with God. And during this encounter with God, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments that someone mentioned, right? These tablets with these Ten Commandments that, will, that are to shape the people of Israel, to make them more and more like uh, more and more like him, to live life the way that God created them to live life. And um, Moses is up there, he's got the Ten Commandments, and he's coming down, and as he's coming down, he starts to get a sense that something's going wrong. And at the beginning of chapter 32, we see what's going wrong. The people of Israel, again, this chapter is a bit of a microcosm of, of who they are and what their relationship with God looks like, because they become like very impatient very quickly. They're like, what's happened to Moses? Is he coming back? I don't think he's coming back. And so they, they turn to Aaron, Moses' right-hand man, and they say, make us an idol to worship. And, and, and they start giving him his, their earrings and their jewelry, and he takes the gold, and he makes this golden calf. And they set up this, this feast, this festival, and in the center of it is this golden calf. And they're all celebrating and worshiping the golden calf. And this is what's going on as Moses comes down the side of the mountain. And as Moses comes and he sees that calf, and he sees the people dancing around, he burns with anger. And he takes those tablets and he throws them and breaks them. He, takes the, he goes on to take the calf and burn it. He grounds up the ashes. He makes the people of Israel who were worshiping it drink it. He grabs a bunch of the Levites. He then goes and he kills a bunch of the Israelites who had been worshiping this golden calf. 
Scripture tells us that like 3,000 Israelites died that day. They died that day for their sin. The story goes on and Moses goes back up the mountain to connect with God, to get the tablets remade. And as he goes up, um, as he's up there and God uh, makes new tablets for him, uh, he has this conversation with God. And the conversation with God was a little bit like the song we just sang, right? Moses is like, God, I want to see your glory. I, I want to experience that. And there's this conversation with God where God's like, look, Moses, you cannot see me face to face. Uh, he doesn't say it exactly this way, but essentially what he's saying is, I am, I am pure and holy, and you, as an impure human being, cannot see me face to face. But he says, you know what I'm going to do for you, Moses? There's a cleft in this rock. I'm going to put you in that cleft, and I'm going to pass by. And you're not going to see my face, but as I go by, you'll see the back of me, and you'll see the glory of me in that sense. And that's what happens. And Moses on that mountain is changed. He's not just changed inwardly, he's changed outwardly. His face changes and as he comes down the mountain with the, with the new tablets, and as he shares uh, the Ten Commandments with the people of Israel, they're all a little bit like, Moses, when we, we cannot look at you, man. We cannot, like, the, the, the radiance of God's glory that is shining off your face is too much for us, Moses. And so what happens is Moses puts a veil on. Moses puts a veil to cover his face. So when he's with the Israelites, he's always wearing a veil. Now, Moses also had this place called the Tent of Meeting that was outside the camp where he would go and be with God and, and talk with God and wait on God and be the presence of the Lord. And when Moses would go into the tent, he would take off the veil and he'd be there with God. And then as he left the tent, he'd put the veil back on. This is the story, essentially, of Exodus 32 to 34. So linking this back into what we've read from 2 Corinthians 3, what does it all mean? Paul here is obviously making a comparison um, of the covenant that God made with Moses and with the Israelites at, Israelites at Sinai, what he kind of here refers to as the old covenant, this agreement between him and his people. Uh, and he's comparing, comparing it with the new covenant, which he tells us we have in Christ through his death on the cross, or we know through his death on the cross. The old covenant here is uh, referencing the law that God gave to Moses, that showed God's people how to live life the way God created humanity, humanity to live. It is the, the letters engraved on stone that we read about in verse 7, and they are the letter that kills in verse 6. And this is because disobedience of the law brings death. Again, we saw 3,000 Israelites die in Exodus 32 for their sin right then and there. The new covenant is based, of course, on Christ. It is our faith in who Jesus is and what he has done for us that enables us to enter into this new covenantal relationship with God. Jesus died on the cross. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin so that, uh, so that we could have this relationship. And of course, we also know that Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose to new life, overcoming the consequence of sin that is death. The new covenant is of the Spirit, Paul tells us. Various places in Scripture, including uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, 
Tell us of how when we choose to follow Jesus, when we believe in him, we are given this seal that is his spirit. His spirit lives in our lives. One image that we're given of this, one way we think about this is that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell or take up residence in our hearts. It is God's Holy Spirit dwelling within us that enables us to live out life the way that God created us to live. And that's why it says in verse 6, the Spirit gives life. As we are empowered by the Spirit, we can live the life that God made us for. Uh, Paul keeps going with this, with this comparison as he talks about how the glory of the old covenant as symbolized in the radiance on the face of Moses was so strong that his face needed to be veiled. Otherwise, the people of Israel would not have been able to look on him. And this was, as the passage tells us, this was a passing glory that would, in one sense, foreshadow the glory that was to come. And the coming glory would be one that would last forever, and therefore, Paul kind of describes it as a, as a greater glory. Finally, after all this time, let's get back to this uh, therefore from verse 12. Paul has great hope and great boldness, as one commentator puts it, in that through his own life and message as a minister of the new covenant, the glory of God is being passed on to others by the Holy Spirit. This again points to Paul's apostleship, his worthiness of being heard and obeyed by the Corinthians. This is a kind of a really big point in these first three uh, chapters of, of 2 Corinthians. We'll keep going. In, in verse, verses 13 to 16, Paul turns to this issue of the people of Israel not being able to see the glory of the Lord because of the veil of Moses. He would say this, is, this was true in Moses' time, right, in, in, in Exodus. Um, but it also indicates, you know, the way it's written here also indicates that this is true of when Paul is writing this, in kind of like the mid-50s after Jesus' death. And, this, uh, and this, was, this was the case in that time. There were Hebrews who did not recognize the glory of the Lord in the person and work of Jesus. And it is fair to say that this is still true today. The passage talks about a turning to the Lord that enables the veil to be removed. Um, there are, of course, many Messianic Jews uh, in our world today. They have had the veil torn down as they, as they have seen Jesus for who he is, the Messiah. In my, in my sophomore or junior year of college, um, we had a, a dude come in as a freshman. Uh, and he was from Toronto, not far from where I grew up. Uh, and he was, a, he was a Messianic Jew. And, and he, had, uh, he would tell us these uh, incredibly intriguing stories of his journey in Judaism and his and this, he didn't use the language of a veil being removed, but of how Jesus became real to him and how he took this step to follow Jesus, to come to faith in Christ, and how that transformed his life and how he was called to be in that setting at college to go then and share the good news with other, uh, with other Jews. The people of Israel of yesterday and today are not the only ones who may experience um, the glory of the Lord veiled in some way, shape, or form. These passages carry uh, with them the Old Testament concept of a, of a hard heart. 
And we can grow a hard heart towards God in a whole bunch of different ways. It, it can come from just generally like the sin in our life. Obviously creates brokenness and barriers between us and God. Things like addiction, broken relationship, unhealed wounds from our past, both recent and long ago. I think it's valuable to ask this question at this moment. Is there a veil that's keeping you from, from knowing Jesus? If there is, do you recognize what it is? Do you know what it might be? Is there something that you long to change in your life? Would you like that veil or that barrier removed? We're in a moment here, we're going to create some time and space where you can seek Jesus for that. You can, in the words of this passage, you can turn to the Lord and ask him to remove that. Um, before we do, though, just these last couple of verses. Verse 17 uh, is without doubt, of course, the most well-known verse from this passage, right? Um, uh, you know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? The Lord is spirit. And I, I think freedom comes in, in, um, in many forms and in, in, in a variety of ways. Um, we're going to sing a song in a, in a moment or two. And it's a song called Freedom Reigns. And it was written by a woman named Kim Walker Smith. And she's part of this band or group called Jesus Culture. You might know them. You probably know more about them than I do. But I know the song well. It's 15, 16 years old, something like that. It's been sung uh, in lots of church settings and conferences and all that kind of stuff. And um, I read something this week on the internet that's attributed to her, so I hope she actually said this. But it was explaining some of her, um, part of why she wrote the song and what it kind of means. And Kim said this, Jesus is not offended at the mess, even when I have made that mess myself. And he truly does meet me exactly where I am. I feel like that is a truth that so many people need to hear, because when you have that revelation... It does bring incredible freedom. Yeah. There's freedom from coming to Jesus, turning to Jesus and asking him to remove the barriers in our life. There's massive freedom that we experience when we confess sin to Jesus. When we confess sin, as the Bible tells us, one to another. There's this freedom from being a slave to sin and instead being a slave to the king. We can get freedom from addiction. And there, uh, one other way I want us maybe to think about freedom as we, as we go into this last song, and Matthew and team, you guys can come. We're going we're gonna to transition to that song in just a moment. But maybe for you, you may need to think of freedom like this. Maybe you need to think of freedom as an open space, an open space with a posture toward God. So turning toward God, a space where you can experience God's love, his patience, his direction, to be, just to be in the presence of our Lord, taking off all the burdens of life and focusing on being in the presence of Jesus. As we close our service in a moment in songs, we are going to create space for you to do this. Do you want to experience the freedom of the Lord? And finally, verse 18 talks about, uh, talks about being made more into the image of of the glory of God, which carries with this idea of reflecting that glory back to God. I think it's, um, Jamie said, I think it was last week, right? 
when we receive, when we choose to follow Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, right? And sometimes I think we just think, oh yeah, we got the Holy Spirit, we're good, let's, let's roll, I'll follow Jesus, yeah. But there is this sense, there's this idea in Scripture that yeah, we receive the Spirit, it's a seal, but I think Jamie talked about it in the sense, in his passage about, like, we're like a vessel, and so we need to ask God to fill us with his Spirit, and then we then pour that out as we serve him, as we share the good news of the gospel, as we love people, as we love our brothers and sisters. And so we need to ask God to fill us back up. So maybe this morning, as we're in this time together, maybe what you need to do is to ask God to fill you with his spirit, to empower you to, to follow him. I'm, is it okay if I pray, Matthew? Let me, let me just pray and then we'll sing. You can, I'm going to invite you to stand if you want. God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be together in this way, to gather in this space, both in person and online. Um, Lord, I, yeah, I believe that you want to be speaking to people in the midst of all that's going on in their lives. I, I believe that you uh, want to remove barriers, that you, you want people to, to turn to you, that you want people to know the, the presence and the power of your spirit in, in their lives and that you want people to experience freedom and that you then want us to reflect that to the world, Lord Jesus. God, I, I pray in these moments as we sing these songs, Lord, that people would be real with you. Um, maybe there's some things here that they need to ask, talk to you about, some confession they need to have. Maybe they need to ask you to fill them. Maybe they, they need to ask you for for, for freedom, because they're not experiencing it in some way, shape, or form. But God, I pray you be at work in our midst in this time. In your name I pray, amen.